Hi guys, it's Andy McDonald, physio and strength and conditioning coach, and welcome to the Informed Performance Podcast. On today's show, I have the absolute pleasure of speaking to Nick Gill. Nick is a guest I've been wanting to have on the show for a long time, so it was a real pleasure to have him on as a guest. He is the strength and conditioning coach for the All Blacks at New Zealand Rugby Union and has been there for 13 years. Not only that, he is also an associate professor at the University of Waikato. In this episode with Nick, we'll be discussing his professional reflections as a coach, empowering athletes and lessons learned technically from COVID. Today's episode of the Informed Performance Podcast has been sponsored by Vald Performance, makers of the Nordboard. The Nordboard has become the gold standard for assessing field-based hamstring strength. By combining advanced sensors, real-time data visualizations and cloud analytics, the Nordboard helps practitioners to accurately measure, monitor, and train individuals' hamstring strength or imbalances. To learn more about the Nordboard, visit our sponsor, volperformance.com. You're listening to the Informed Performance Podcast with me, Andy McDonald. Let's get into today's episode with our guest, Nick Gill. Nick, welcome to the show, mate. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast, and uh, yeah, it's great to chat to you today. Thanks for having me. Hope you're uh, hope you're taking care of yourself over there, mate. Just just about. It's snowing here, so uh, staying away from the weather at the moment. Um, yeah. I mean, it's wasted on the listener because we're on a video call and they're going to be on audio. But uh, our scenes couldn't be any different at the moment with the weather that I'm seeing your end. Yeah, sun's out, mate. Sun's out over here. It's beautiful. Just to start off with, mate, can you kind of summarise your background for people? If there's any listeners that haven't heard of you before, uh, I'm sure many have, but for anyone that hasn't. Um, I'm a, I'm a strength and conditioning coach, um, sports scientist, um, been working in professional sport for about 20 years, um, mainly rugby union. Um, and yeah, I'm still an active researcher and supervisor of PhD students. Um, and I'm still currently with the All Blacks rugby team from New Zealand. Cool. And, um, you know, you're well known as the All Blacks S&C coach. Uh, an author and, of course, an associate professor in human performance too. Where or, you know, how do you, you know, where do you focus your professional attention at the moment? Or maybe, you know, is there any developments in the industry that you're currently interested in? Um, I, think, I suppose it's, um, it's an interesting question. When when um, when we talked earlier about, you know, some of the, some of the things we might want to talk about, it was, it was quite interesting. I had to sit back and have a think about what interests me at the moment. But to be fair, um, um I'm still just trying to be a better coach and and work better with the athletes that I um, have the opportunity to, to to work with. So I suppose it's I spend a lot of time on relationships and communication and leadership and, and I suppose just trying to fine tune some of those aspects of my practice. Um, so so from a from a coaching perspective, that's the that's the emphasis. Um, and I suppose um, if we're talking about um, you know the actual strength and conditioning of a team it's really a matter of trying to get the balance between you know that technical and tactical component of of a, of a rugby team with the physical and mental and, and just trying to try to ensure that we've got that balance right as a performance team um you know healthy athletes make better athletes so i'm a firm believer in that so how to uh, restrict or reduce injuries is is pretty massive um and so, yeah, all those things are sort of where I'm trying to put energy at the moment. Um, we've also got a, a crazy 
you know, world at the moment with COVID and, and travel restrictions and things. So we're having to remain really agile because we don't really know what's going on with the rest of the year for us as a rugby team. You know, you've had a, a wonderful career, especially in rugby of the All Blacks for so long. And I've no doubt, like many people in your organisation, you've fielded your fair share of questions about uh, winning cultures. So I'm going to kind of uh, try and avoid the echo chamber a little bit for this podcast. Um, you know, on reflection, if you were to fly to another country or culture and work in maybe a different sport, what kind of transferable, you know, personal or coaching qualities do you see as maybe the most significant or vital to being effective, um, you know, whether that's as a coach or as a performance uh, member of the performance team? Yeah, I think um, it probably reiterates what I said earlier. Like, I think the um, um, the thing that's most important is is, is trust um, and collaboration with the people you work with. Um, so I suppose if, if I was to move somewhere, um, first I'd need to gain some trust of some people, whether that's the, the other staff and or the athletes. Um, and then it would be a matter of um, working on relationships to allow really good collaboration. Um, and I mean with the athletes as well. I, I know that when I was a young, younger, inexperienced SNC coach, it was all about numbers and do this and do this. Um, why am I doing that? Because I said so. Um, how come I have to lift that much weight? Because I said so. Um, you know, versus now where it's 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 a discussion. I, I, I think I'm a firm believer in trying to figure it out together. I don't know what the athlete's feeling. Um, they know what they're feeling like, but I can also, you know, inspire, motivate and push um, without being a dictator. Um, you know, I said it before, healthy athletes are, are going to be better athletes in the long term. You know, a healthy team is going to be a better team in the long term. So with that collaboration, I think it helps you avoid um, risks of, of bad health or injury. So um, that's probably what I'd take from my experiences so far. Um, but then also, you know, in terms of understanding the, the team culture and the individual psyche within the team and, you know, what they're connected to as a group or what's driving them um, from a performance perspective. Um, if we don't understand what motivates people, it's really hard to to help um, help them achieve great things. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's reasonably eerie-fairy, I suppose, but, but it's very much... Um, I think where things are at in, 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 in high-performance sport when you're really chasing the small gains. Yeah, I, I don't think it's very fair. I think things become less absolute the, lo the longer you do them and the more kind of different experiences you have. Um, you know, you mentioned uh, including the athletes in the process and without things being kind of, you know, too forced, how do you how do you go about kind of opening up that dialogue when it's a new player and you want to build up that trust and include them in the decisions and the process for their training? Yeah, it's a good question. Like, I, I think you have to deal each, with each athlete individually because some young athletes aren't ready to collaborate because they don't know enough or they aren't experienced enough or they'll take the easiest route. So I think, you know, every athlete's going to be different. So collaboration with a with a 10-year pro is very different to a first-year rookie. Um, you know, so I think it's really about understanding the individual athlete where they've come from, what they know, what they've achieved, where they're heading, what their trajectory is like, what their history is like. Um, you know, you take all that into into account before you figure out how you're going to work with them. So, you know, first year All Black, it's all about them understanding what's required as an All Black. Um, and there won't be a lot of collaboration with that individual. It'll be more education um, versus an, an All Black that's been around for as long as me. Um, 
and knows their body inside and out, knows what's required as an all black. And so now it's up to him and I to to figure out how to keep raising the bar together um, as opposed to just accepting status quo. Yeah. And I mean, I know I know how these kind of um, uh, national team roles work. And obviously you're you're in dialogue with their um, league coaches consistently year round. But how do you kind of, um, you know, do the expectations change from an S&C perspective when they're with you? How do you kind of uh, how do you focus your energy and what are the expectations when they're with you as opposed to the club? I think, um, I mean, I would hope um, that the standards and expectations are way higher with the national team than with the club team. Um, and I don't think that's always the case, but I think, generally speaking, um, you know, we train harder, longer, and the accuracy and skill level required and expected is superior. Um, you know, when you take the, the top five, six, seven, eight, nine players out of a, a club team and and put all those players together, just the, the standard of um, excellence is just super high. Um, you know, whereas with the club, you know, with a club team, you've, you've got those best players and then there's a gap to the next level, you know. So so if anything, their standards and expectations are dropped a little bit. Um, so I think, you know, when it comes to, you know, training, intensity, recovery, even just the numbers we hit, um, you know, we, we have pretty high standards. The All Blacks demands, demand excellence. And, and so the, the athletes within the group set that because they come in and they're, they're, they're high achievers in all those areas. So, um, you know, when you're surrounded by excellence, you have no choice but to raise your standards um, and push push harder or higher. Yeah. How do you kind of balance, um, you know, you've got them some, you know, in certain training camps, probably for not a, an overly long period of time. How do you balance... Um, you know, whether you're trying to just maintain things or still achieve, you know, physical adaptations and physical development, how do you kind of, um, how much growth do you expect when a player's with you, you know, time to time? Um, if we're just seeing them briefly for a day or two, then I expect no change. We just, we just catch up and just try and try and figure out how things are going. And if there's anything that they could be doing different or better or, or, or otherwise, so I think it's a little bit of a, a checkpoint, a, a touch point, if anything. Um, uh, when they're with the All Blacks in camp for three, four, five months, um, then you know our expectation is you get better. Um, you know, over the time you're with us, you you grow your game, you grow your skill level, you grow physically. Um, um, you just improve improve in all facets of your. You know your sport, I suppose. Um, you know, but when we're when we're just seeing players intermittently through a, a club season, a Super Rugby season, then it's really just checking in that you're tracking in the right direction um, from a performance perspective on the rugby field as well as a physical perspective. Um, you know, and, and at the end of the day, we just want you healthy, not being overplayed and 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 not overdoing things and, and risking your chance of making the, the national team. Obviously, like different uh, different countries or different teams play different styles of rugby, and uh, whilst there's naturally similarities in how every practitioner in rugby or in sports science, strength conditioning, in the things we you know we read and do globally, stylistically, is S and C any different uh, with the All Blacks to maybe what what you've seen or heard and in other teams, other countries, not necessarily rugby specific, but just like the way you deliver it or the the things you put emphasis on. Yeah, it's a, it's a good question, eh? Because um, 
I've only ever got to visit and and be exposed to clubs. Um, I've never had the chance to be inside a, a national team set up. Um, so I only sort of know what we do and and what we've done over the over time. But um, you know, I think you you hear things from other players, um, from you know other countries talking to to our players, and then I sort of hear along the grapevine. Um, you now there's definitely differences. Um, differences with how the national team interact with the club teams is a big thing. Um, and I think you know even standards that are acceptable in club versus country are different across countries um and but i think that once teams are together i think you know that again if you've got all the best teams from a country together as a as a, as a group then then training intensity and qualities and expectations go up um so like i haven't haven't heard of any huge differences um but again i, I don't know if i would you don't you don't get loads of open invites invites to other international rugby teams to see what they're nah. doing. <laughs> nah, nah. Yeah, all you see is the, the warm ups on TV, mate. You know, like it's all you get to see. So you don't really get to see see much of what's happening in, in the inner sanctum. And, and I think that's I quite like that. I quite like trying to figure out whether what we're doing is the best that can be done. Um, just because I know that that's what every other country will be doing. They'll be sitting around having a cup of coffee, going, out, you know, how how can we do this? How can we do this different, better? What do we need to change? You know, and I think that's a when you're working in an elite sport. I think you never stop doing that. You always you always try to reflect on what you did last year and whether you can shift it and make it better next year. Yeah, for sure. And you know, you've done the the thing many people threaten to do, but very few follow through with. And you've uh, you've authored a book, Health Yourself. And yeah. I know your book aims to provide uh, practical knowledge to enable readers to build their you know, their own kind of health and fitness and then lifestyle habits. Uh, I'm not sure how the COVID situation is, has played out exactly in New Zealand, but over in the UK, as an example, a number of coaches have told me that they've they've given their players greater autonomy, uh, choice and freedom in their kind of physical prep or programs when they've been, you know, stuck at home or um, training off-site. Has, you know, how has the kind of empowering philosophy of your book, you know, has that ever spilled into your approach as a coach? Um, with the All Blacks, or, or particularly recently, is it has the kind of ethos of your books spilled into your coaching life? Yeah, I think. Um, I mean, I wrote the book because I wanted to try and help people um, that I didn't have the opportunity to meet or work with. So, um, you know, there's a lot of confusing information out there for, for for most people to try and decipher and make sense of. And and most people that that don't work in the industry as their job have no idea what what being healthy is or how to achieve it. Um, so yeah, I suppose um, my my overall philosophy around health is about you know movement and and nutrition and, and sleep and and life balance. I suppose from a mental perspective, that's no different as an elite athlete. Um, they just they just have greater emphasis or more time available to work on those areas. So so I definitely think you know my my general health philosophies are very similar to my performance philosophies. You know you can't be the top of your game if you're not sleeping well if you're not eating well if you're not training well um and if your head's cluttered with mess and stress um so i think that they very much um closely linked you know like um if we talk about life and health it's actually about you know your body being able to perform whether that's as a dad a, a husband a wife you know a chief executive um it's about performing and whatever it is you're trying to to perform in or, or aspire to and 
and all those things are just as important. Um, whether you're an athlete getting paid lots of money to do it, or whether you're, you know, you just want to be the best dad in the world, where you've got loads of energy to spend with your wife and kids. Have you, you know, have you always been really appreciative of lifestyle as a as a coach, or is it? something that's developed over the years? Because I think everyone that works in sport would probably like to think they're appreciative of um, athlete lifestyle, but I think we probably do undercook it as a general trend. So I'm just curious, kind of where did it come from Come from for you? I absolutely, like I think um, when you're young, it's all about the numbers and it's all about how much you can lift and how fast you can run and you can't eat that because that's bad for you and you shouldn't drink alcohol because it's bad for you and more than one coffee a day. Like I think the... <laughs> Um, you know, as you as you experience life yourself, you start to realise actually um, you can achieve all that and still be really happy and have balance. Um, and and I think if anything, the athletes that that figure that out earlier, uh, either either the best performing athletes or they last longer in the sport. Um, so I think that it's it's something that I definitely didn't have balance when I was younger. Um, I still think I. I push the boundaries of, of, of extreme balance where I'm, I'm all or none. You know, I'm either, I'm either exercising too much or, or eating too much and never, you know, struggle to get it right all the time. But, but that's the joy of life. And I think that as we get older, we, we start figuring out that that's okay as long as you know how to, how to juggle and balance everything out um, so that the top, top 10 inches are, are happy and clear, you know. Um, so no, I definitely think it's something that that occurs over time and with experience. That um, you know, the, the 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 person with the biggest bench press isn't the healthiest person or the best athlete. Um, but 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 having a solid bench press gives you a chance of being a solid athlete. You know, so I think it's a matter of risk risk reward. You know, what's where are the, where are the easy gains and the easy things to balance, and, and where where we can we reduce risk of of going off the the performance curve. <laughs> You know, knowing that in life you've got to kind of uh, you've got to be able to put your own oxygen mask on first, as a bit of a as an analogy, and and as someone who travels a lot, like you 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 do or you would on a normal year non COVID with sport, how do you kind of um, you know do you have any how have you sort of developed your practices as a as a way to stay healthy, tune out, uh, and look after yourself to then be able to look after the athletes? Yeah, I yeah, I so. I, I spend a lot of time with the team, with the with the athletes when we're away. So you know, I'll be in the gym for three hours on a on a Monday with the team. I'll be on the field with them two hours on a Monday. So I'm with the team for five hours. Then we've got meetings and blah blah blah. So you're with the team twenty four seven when you're away. Um, so I have a few things. I exercise every day and normally in the morning because I'm too busy in the evening. I eat really well because we've got great food put on. On, a, on our day off, I don't do anything with anyone except myself. I. I just keep the day away from everyone so I can just sort of chill out and get some space. Um, and the night before a game, I, I'm, I'm in bed at I'm in bed at seven or eight o'clock with a king size bar of chocolate and a movie. Um, and that's sort of my that's my coping strategy. So I sort of eat a big big bar of chocolate and watch a movie the night before a game and get a huge try and get 11, 10, 11, 12 hours and and um, and then my day off, I just totally isolate myself from anyone and just just have some quiet time. You know, it's um it's sort of Again, you know, you when you're away from home, you tend to try and do lots and lots of things. But I tend to, you know, I tend to do less and less now, and just try and focus on my job and and my own health and, and well-being and balance. Yeah, well said. Um, as a as a strength coach, we can, you know, you said earlier we can always kind of get better and improve and become more effective. As 
you know, someone with your experience training a, a phenomenally successful team, what kind of physical preparation or performance questions do you feel are maybe unanswered or perhaps grey? I was going to ask you, you know, what keeps you up at night, but it sounds like your um, seven o'clock bedtimes and chocolate bars probably uh, uh, don't keep you up all night with uh, performance-related questions. But what what are the kind of the technical aspects of our of our field that that you feel are unanswered or or maybe kind of rack your brains a bit more? Um, I think the um, I mean what what I've experienced over the the last wee while is the athletes are way more educated. Um, have a, a, a longer training age or an older training age um, and so able to cope with a lot more than they used to be able to. Um, so I think that's just a that's just a time thing. You know, the academies have grabbed these athletes earlier and, and the clubs have, have increased the professionalism within them. And, you know, I think it's just a natural evolution of a professional sport. Um, rugby's only been professional for 20 25 years, so um, it's taken this long to get through professional athletes, I suppose. Um, I suppose what keeps me up at night is more just, you know, the, the balance between pushing and and getting too close to that cliff and people falling off it and getting hurt. Um, that's still the hardest thing, I think, because we want in, we want in athletes that can, can train longer and harder and play faster and harder and and that balance between you know the the stimulus and the recovery is still you know it's it's still a, a, a huge question that we need to keep trying to solve um you know there's lots of technology available to help us do that um but it's still a lot of it is about about decision making um you know of of the performance team and the coaching team of you know what's required when and and why um and a lot of that comes through experience and, and really robust discussion. So um, I wouldn't say it keeps me up at night, but I do I do worry sometimes that I'm not pushing hard enough or I'm pushing too hard with the coaches. And and um, sometimes there's the old cross the fingers behind my back and hope like hell we get through, um, you know. And, and we do that still. Um, but you know you have to you have to push the envelope because it's international sport. And um, if if we don't move, we'll come last. So we have to keep moving and keep pushing. When we are pushing athletes and we're trying to work out whether we're about to, or the data showing us maybe a healthy adaptation from a performance standpoint, or maybe a, a, a boiling point that we need to be thinking about, do you, do you think the technology will ever make it significantly easier, or do you think it's always going to be a, a real judgment call as a human practitioner? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, like I think the the information. Um, is valuable um, but I know myself like um, so I, I, I do triathlon and, and information can be both um, powerful and disruptive at the same time um, you know it can it can drive you to push or it can hold you back when you don't need to be held back um, because the data is only showing one thing and not the combination of things so so I feel like there'll always be a There'll always be a need to to look at the information that's coming through, the data that's coming through, um, consider it um, within the individual and the history of the individual and the timeline that we're on, um, but then have the discussion because you know you may find that that an athlete is you know declining in sleep quality or sleep quantity or 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 resting heart rates um, up a bit higher than it 
than it normally is at this time of the week or um, or their numbers on the on the squat are low or their power numbers are low. You may find all these things happening. Um, and if you just look at the data and make some decisions, you could make the wrong decision unless you talk to the athlete because the athlete could be able to tell you that um, they've been fighting with their missus at home so they're not sleeping. Um, they were sore from the game on Saturday, so their squat, they just buttoned off on the squat. Um, and oh, I've been seeing Doc because I've got a bit of a sore throat, so that's why my heart rate's up. You know, so 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 all these things can be explained through a conversation before you make a decision. So I think the the need to be athlete centred is still huge. Um, you know, and so you've got the data on one side. You then need to have the discussion with the athlete, and then we need to make a decision. And I think that's probably where the, where the art of coaching would need to come in because. Um, you know, if it was simple as just looking at the numbers and then moving forward, then it'd actually be really easy. But we're human beings, so there's a there's the human factor, um, and often the conversation is is hugely powerful to to try and interpret and add add inf- more information, n- another layer of information before you make decisions. Yeah, and I think probably the most significant information as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as much as your you know, embedded in in the rugby world. I know you've supervised a bunch of uh, papers with the academic part of your work, um, and and topically to this kind of present day, uh, one with some other contributing authors around COVID and return to play after uh, prolonged restrictions in collision sports. What's the kind of uh, what's the backstory of you getting involved in that um, paper? Other than COVID, what's the backstory of you 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 being involved in that paper? And uh, you know, can you tell us what you were kind of looking at with that? Yeah, no, that was just a World Rugby initiative. Um, and, I mean, essentially, you know, we haven't dealt with, with rugby players being able to be away from, from a structured environment and then return to play. So we were trying to trying to ensure that the health of rugby players around the world was, was I suppose, not looked after, but, but everyone's experiences and learnings were being able to be put in one place so that everyone could benefit um, and hopefully look after players as we return to to the field and um, so that was really where that was about um, I mentioned it earlier you know injury prevention and keeping players healthy is massively important um, you know it's a ferocious sport and what we're seeing around at the moment is we're probably getting less injuries which means we're all doing a really good job the physios and the doctors and the SNCs are all doing a good job because the, the frequency or amount of injuries are, are declining in rugby around the world but but the severity of them isn't. The severity is going up. Um, and now I think personally that's easily explained by the fact that, you know, the the replacement um, the rules, um, you know, allow replacements or more replacements. So, so you've got bigger, more intense collisions for a whole 80 minutes and you've got these big units that are, you know, I've been with the All Blacks for, I think it's my 14th year or something. Um, you know, the players in the front row of, you know, average put on a kilo a year. So when I started, the average prop was about 110, 112 kilos. Now we're talking about 128 kilos. Um, you know, so so just the size of the athlete has gone through the roof. Um, and now they're fitter. So they're running faster into collisions. The collisions are bigger. Um, and so, like, that, that area still fascinates me around injury prevention um, and load management. Uh, but from a research perspective, I just like any. I just like learning about anything that um, is going to help me be better at what I do, um, and so that I can I can help others. Um, I just like helping people get better, whether that's in health or in sport. So, 
um, anything that helps me learn a bit more, um, stimulates me, gets me excited, and um, you know, hopefully that that transfers to the athletes or the or the people I'm helping. Yeah, very well rounded. Um, have you, you know, as a I don't I don't want to be flippant and view it as this, but uh, if COVID is this kind of social experiment, almost from a strength and conditioning perspective and sports science perspective. Have your views on maybe uh, how you prepare athletes changed as a result of it? Have, you know, I'm, I'm just wondering things like, you know, prescribing and dosing uh, lifts, loads and high speed running. Have your kind of prescriptions of exercise changed or your considerations in programming having had to make wildly different considerations than a normal year? No, not not for us. Like um, before we went into lockdown, um, we pretty much made sure most of the All Blacks had gear at home. Um, and most of them do anyway. So I think that I think the only thing that it's probably highlighted is that as a professional athlete, um, you need some some tools of the trade at home so that you know if you want to stay home and look after yourself and train, you can. But in COVID, we were forced to. So um, it hasn't changed anything around programming in my perspective. It just just meaning that you know it just reinforces the need to educate. And, and have collaborations with athletes because at the end of the day you want athletes that are self-driven and self-reliant and and I always believe that if, if I've got my team in a good place or my group of athletes in a good place I don't need to be there um, if I've done my job they should be able to be able to prepare themselves to the best of their ability without me there um, if they need me um, you know then then they're not self-reliant and as soon as they get locked up and locked down <laughs> then the wheels fall off um whereas we had none of those issues so i think our athletes are pretty self-reliant and self-driven at the moment um and and that comes through experience and the environment that they that they, that they work in within their clubs and within the national program sounds like that kind of goes full circle to your earlier point about what you know if you were to go into a new sporting environment and start again what qualities you know have you learned that you'd bring to it and you, you you know you mentioned involving the athlete from the very beginning in conversations around what they're working on and I feel like you know if you begin with if you begin with the end in mind and, and you start that way it's probably easier to go through what we just have and some of the comments you just made then around absolutely yeah. then being prepared for that yeah absolutely and I think you know like at the end of the day you want to be able to trust too and, and I think you want like, like I want them to trust me but I, I want I want to be able to trust them, you know, and so, you know, it becomes quite a nice little relationship where you feel like you feel like they they need you, but they don't need you. You know, you're 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 better working together than apart, um, but you can get on with it if 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 if, if need be. Yeah, what's in the uh, what's in the pipeline for you, mate? Have you got anything? Have you got any papers? Any more papers coming out, or any you know any more books? Dare I say, or, or projects in the works? Yeah, no, no, we've got papers coming out every week at the moment. It's got there's quite a few coming out. Plyometrics and neck strength, and we're just working on a review on hamstring um, injuries and rugby union players. Um, yeah, we're we're looking at a, a number of things. So there's quite a bit coming out in the next um, well, in the last few weeks and the next couple of weeks. So. Um, yeah, all, all related to rugby and, and performance or injury. So, um, yeah, it's been it's been quite it's been quite a good way to spend the last twelve months. I mean, we've been you know in a funny old funny old space with with rugby, but it's allowed a bit of, a bit more time to to look at some data and, and learn a bit more about stuff. So, um, yeah, there's there's a, there's a lot happening, mate. And hopefully, we get to travel later on in the year to some amazing countries um, to play some footy. Hopefully, America sorts themselves out. 
so that we can come over there and uh, and have a game against the states, which would be awesome. That'd be very good. And, and would you, would you write another book? Is there anything else in the works there? Oh, I'd love to. Yeah, one day, maybe, maybe we'll see. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> uh, maybe when I maybe when I finish with the All Blacks, we'll see what happens. I'll, uh, yeah, it was it's a it's an interesting process to go through, but you you don't do it for anything other than love. Not you don't do it for money or anything other than trying to spread some knowledge. So um, it's a it's an enjoyable process, and I uh, definitely probably probably revise the, the the previous book and just update it. I think that's a I think that's a nice sentiment to finish on. I'm 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 cognizant of time and uh, I really appreciate you coming on, Nick, today. And where's the best place for the kind of listeners to follow you? Uh, I'm on Instagram, um, Nick Gill Health and Performance, um, and I've got a website, nickgill.com. Um, but yeah, or and, and just just send me an email off any of those platforms or a text. And um, yeah, if you've got any questions, just give me a yell. Too easy. Appreciate it. Well, thank you for your time, and uh, yeah, it's great to chat to you. Awesome, mate. Thanks, Andy. Bye-bye. A big thanks to Nick Gill for coming on today's show. It was a pleasure to speak to him and someone who's coached at the top of their game, also with one of the world's most successful national sides over the last decade. Plus, he's just a nice guy. Head over to informperformance.com to find our podcasts, show notes and articles. Don't forget we launched a digital magazine and are beginning to host articles for you, the listener, working in elite sport. So if you'd like to host your thoughts and ideas online via our online platform, informperformance.com, then send us your work so we can feature them. Don't forget, you can also find us on social media at informperformance for Instagram or at informpod for Twitter. You've been listening to the Inform Performance podcast with me, Annie McDonald. Tune in next week for more performance and sports medicine insights.